Pulse Audio Podcast Network. Happy Wine Wednesday, bitches and vagabonds. It is time for Whining About Herstory, the women's history podcast where two besties with breasties get together on a Wednesday evening, which is the weirdest fucking thing ever, to whine about women from history that you probably haven't heard of, but definitely should have. For sure. For sure. I'm Emily. I'm Kelly. And thank you for joining us. By the time this comes out, it won't be Wine Wednesday anymore. It'll be a Malt Liquor Monday, but we are recording on Wine Wednesday. Yeah. Every day of the week has a liquor associated with it malt liquor monday tequila tuesday uh wine wednesday mm-hmm. thirsty thursday is like a choose your own adventure it's like it's true everything um oh, what should friday be fireball friday Ooh, fireball friday i was gonna say frisky i'm like what booze makes me frisky fireball <laughs> yep and then uh sloppy saturday yep and then sober Sunday because sober we Sunday. all need because at least need one, one day, day to, to recover. Sober. You gotta get ready for malt liquor Monday somehow. <laughs> Drink that water. <laughs> Go to church. Get some Jesus in your cup. The only alcohol you should be getting is some Jesus blood. <laughs> yep, that was bad. Hey. I need to get something out of being Catholic. <laughs> and if I can't joke about it, then what was the point? <laughs> spiritual enlightenment grow up kelly (laughs) who gets that oh my god not us oh confirmation i don't remember anything from it and uh i barely remember my saint's name i just remember it was i think it was like francis de salle lucille i don't know lucille who but i picked lucille see i i did a i did a boy because i wanted to be edgy because all the girls like picked saints with very pretty feminine names i'm like i'm gonna be frank i'm just like lucy (laughs) i've always liked lucy yeah i you know it makes me think of uh, Lucille from Arrested Development and she is like the epitome of classy bitch yeah like it's true she will slice your throat open and won't spill a drop of her martini and she'll like sip the entire time and she's just like yeah killing you means nothing to me I'm also really drunk right now so (laughs) all right well we are out of spooky season yeah, no, not really. I uh, love spooky season. You know, I actually had a good spooky season. Um, I had quite a few trick-or-treaters come to my door. We had 35. And, oh, my God. See, I don't get that many, but I bought less candy this year because the past couple years it's been like I'm handing it out in fistfuls and I still have a ton left over. We just over. bought king size this year, and so then everyone got one. Oh, my God, the kids were so excited. Oh, my God. But I got them at Costco. So we're that house. Just, I was going to say, just like fucking flaunting your riches over there, Mommy Warbucks. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I bought bulk at Costco. Mommy Mars bars. <laughs> there you go. But I bought less candy, but then I also didn't adjust how I was handing it out. So I got two bags of those like sweet tarts in the shapes of like skeleton mm-hmm. parts. And so the first kid that came to the door, uh, like I was dumping the bag into his candy base. Like, really? I'm like, hell yeah, buddy. Except I was totally appropriate in my language. And then more kids started coming. I'm handing out in fistfuls. And then I have to open the second bag. And I'm like, this is like only the third group of kids to come by. I'm in trouble. And so I dumped the candy out and I like finished giving it to them. And I counted. I'm like, 
I have 10 little baggies left. I have enough for 10 children to get one bag each. I am in trouble. Like, I never thought I'd be that person on Halloween night who's like, I need to go to the store and get more candy. (laughs) I mean, you do live on a street that, yeah, it makes sense. So thankfully I didn't run out. And next year I know that I just need to saddle up with my extra 10 pounds of candy. Yeah. That's a burden that I will take on for the children. We had a set of little girls that came up that asked for bananas. And we were like, we totally had bananas, but of course you can't, you can't give parents wouldn't like that. So we were like, we don't have, you know, we don't have bananas, you know, but we have chocolate. And they were like, no, thanks. Bananas. <laughs> my husband's like, uh, no. And you could, I could hear the parents laughing from the street. Oh my God. And then they were just like, no, thanks. And walked away. And I'm like, oh, okay. And my husband's like, well, maybe they had like allergies. I'm like, I don't know. I'm like next year. we Cause usually we do. Usually we have, something that's not chocolate something you know usually that doesn't also doesn't contain nuts because then you, yeah. you get those two in a- one aller- and then usually, allergy sensitive treats yeah and then usually we have something that's not food at all yeah but like with covid and everything we just completely like didn't even do that this year and i felt kind of bad it's a little weird they were specifically asking for bananas <laughs> like bananas i don't i didn't i wasn't at the door so i didn't ask justin how old they were but they sounded like they were pretty young that's that's insane to I me. just thought it was funny. Yeah, and then I just heard the parents, and then, like, I could hear them, like, laughing. Do you think the parents were like, we're going to punk these these assholes? Like, we're just... Maybe. Little kids go I mean, I literally there. had, like, two decorations out and then some lights. I, okay, I remembered it was Halloween all day until I had settled into the chair and I was dinking around on my phone, and when the doorbell rang the first time, I audibly went, what the fuck? Because I'm like... Who at like 6 p.m. on a Sunday night is ringing my goddamn doorbell? <laughs> and I'm in like my gym shorts and a t-shirt. Oh, I was like, in a tank top. I, I look like shit. And I go to the door. I was, I see this little boy. He's dressed as a ninja. I'm like, oh, damn. <laughs> so I like grab the candy. It's not even a bowl. I just like start giving it to him. And he was the only one there. And so I was talking with him about his costume. That's and he was cute. very excited. He was telling me like how he's able to hide. I'm like, okay, buddy, but don't chop anyone who doesn't deserve. He goes, I don't know how to chop. I only know how to hide. <laughs> I'm like, okay. Cute. You're a really passive ninja. And I respect that. But then I was like, oh, no. And I actually ran to the basement to, like, get some decorations. I didn't put anything out because I just, I've been doing fun Halloween stuff this month. But as far as decorating, I just, like, I've been so busy with the upstairs. I just don't have the energy. So I put out my chihuahua skeleton and my um, uh, my haunted house sign. And that was pretty much it. <laughs> yeah, I had two, like, candle things that I couldn't find candles for. But, I mean, I had my outside lights on, so it didn't yeah. really matter. Yeah, I just I- set those outside. And then I found we have one of those things that you, like, point toward your garage. And we have, we have one that you can, like, swap out the slide in it. And so we had oh, one the that, lights. like, ghosts on it. So the I just stuck that outside. That, damn, you were able to whip up a much more impressive presentation in three seconds than I was. But then I put on my my little witch outfit for yeah, the rest nope, of the kids. dress up. And Locked then I was, the like, the be- the, yeah. Because, well, because we originally had put, like, a box across the top of the stairs because we were hanging out upstairs. But Navi jumped to that box for a trick-or-treater. So we were like, <laughs> nope, you guys are going in the bedroom. Oh, my God. Well, because yeah. I don't remember if it was when you were living with us or when Ian was living with us, but one year we got we got trick or treaters, and one of them was like like ran away when the dogs started barking. Oh, I don't because think they I were was there. super afraid of dogs, and so then every year Aww. since then we 
you know, do something with the dogs because we felt so bad. See, Jared is such a trooper because people like ringing the doorbell and saying the dog's off does not bode well with PTSD. But he knows how much I love handing out the candy. So he just like hunkers down in the office with the dogs and deals with them barking. Because, I mean, it's That's only nice like for an man. hour. So, yeah, he... Yeah, I handle all the I think we got our last trick or treaters at like 7.30-ish. Yeah, yeah, we got ours. It was like 7.15-ish around then. And then... I, uh, I saw, it was like an hour later, like I had gotten in my jammies. I'm like, we're not getting any more kids. And I see this group of people walking down the sidewalk and I'm like, you've got to be shitting me right now. And I see them go to our neighbor's house and I, I tell Jerry, I was like, just be quiet for a second. And we pause and then I can hear my neighbor's dogs barking. And I was like, fucking trick-or-treaters it's it's an hour later like so <laughs> we immediately run around turn all the lights off yep. inside outside like no that's, that's what we did at eight, no. at eight o'clock we just <laughs> we turned our outside lights off yep yep okay sorry what what are we doing here we, we're doing a podcast we're talking about how spooky season's over yeah and how we're all a little sad about it but uh you know what we can we're, still we're enjoy the on. fall yeah we we can uh still enjoy the fall but you know what while spooky season is over there's another season upon us native american heritage month yay which um Okay, so there is Native American Heritage Month, which is the month of November, and then there is Native American Heritage Day. Which or is in November 26th. November 26th, and that is very recent. That's like within the last year or two. Yes. Um, I remember, I think we talked about it Yeah, one of our women. One of our, one of our uh, lovely listeners, Artemis, what's up, uh, told us about it, and so we did a special episode for Native American Heritage Day. Here's the thing. I'm going to admit I'm a terrible person. I'm very ignorant. I didn't know about Native American Heritage Month. And I was like, well, it must be kind of like the day. It must be newer. No, no. This became a, a month of celebration in 1990, a year before I was born. And I'm like, I remember celebrating Black History Month in school. We never talked about this month. And uh, Kelly and I haven't communicated about like doing anything special this month, but both of us independently decided to cover indigenous women for today. So we are in sync and on top of it in our own ways. Yeah. <laughs> in our own, you know, easy breezy, totally unplanned, totally unprofessional ways. 2013 is when they, the state house of Washington finally approved it. The Washington, Washington D.C. or Washington State. State. I don't know. I swear to God, it was like Donald Trump signed the day into maybe because I remember we looked it up and we were shocked. Wikipedia does not reflect a lot. I will say a lot of people are really angry that um, they put it on Black Friday. Oh, so so this is what it says. It says some Native Americans believe that it is in poor taste for Native American Heritage Day to be on Black Friday, a day of excessive excess and gluttony and greed and aggressive capitalism, which which itself falls after a holiday that omits the murder and mutilation of natives in which they mourn the estimated millions of indigenous people who died as a result of aggressive settler colonization. (sighs) I didn't even put that together because because Thanksgiving is not like it's not like Christmas where it's the same date. Oh, 2008 is when the legislation went through public law. Okay, okay. So it would have been Obama. Yeah, but I, I okay. Anyway, we're not going to try to figure this no, out right George now. George W. Bush. 
says it. No, he he did the month. No, he did the day too. So because it was signed into law in 2008. Sorry, George Bush Senior did. Oh yeah, so Native George American Heritage Month. W. He signed Bush, it, which is I believe Junior. Yeah, George W. is Junior made the day. Let's just like try to pick apart the fabric of the country which we have lived in our entire lives and figure out Let's who the presidents in our it's lifetimes so are. And like, we, we do have an announcement, know better. though. We do. We do. So before we get started, we have something very special to announce. And if you follow us on any of the social medias, you will you already be all aware. The meds. All the social medias. We were plugging Except for TikTok because we don't have TikTok because, you know. We were plugging that like holes that. in a dam. Yeah. 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 So we just launched a new merch store. Yay. We've been talking about it and we finally did it. So we just launched that. Uh, we're going through a, a different provider who offers a lot more merch options, a lot of different styles and accessories and things. And we're so excited. And we just had a uh, celebratory 15% off discount for everyone. And we will be letting you know when other sales are coming up. But yeah, check that out. We also have a ton of new designs utilizing like jokes and things from the show. My favorite is uh, Free Flying Spinster on the Fringe. <laughs> that is my yeah, that favorite. Is oh, and then we have uh, we have a very special piece, piece of merch dedicated to Mama Meg and her brood. Which yes, I am. Uh, they said a bad word. They said a bad word. They said a bad word. I'm. I'm not. I'm doing it British. I'm not even doing it. I know. Australian. I'm like it's Australian. Here's Emily. the thing. Here's the thing. I can barely do it British. Don't. One of these days. Okay. For our. For our. What three year anniversary? I am going to practice saying they said a bad word in an in Australian, Australian accent. Yes, in Australian, <laughs> in the language of the Aussies. And I will say it on the podcast. So that is my goal from now until March. I, I will be waiting. I'm going to have to watch that video that Mama Meg sent us and yeah, like right? mimic just her son's voice. <laughs> on a repeat, just that section. Yeah, but we're, we're super excited. Um, so yeah, seriously, go get some merch. Support a small women-owned business. Yeah, there's some really cute stuff on there. The holidays are coming up. If you're looking for some fun feminist merch. Yeah. If you have any ideas for merch too, let us know. Oh yeah, please do. If there's like something that you want to see on a t-shirt, we will put that shit on a shirt. Or a mug. Or a or mug. Whatever you want. Or really. a mask. Or a sweatshirt. Or a unisex tri-blend cowled hoodie. Yeah. Yes. All of them. We have those. <laughs> we have everything. We have all the things. All right. Do we have any other announcements? I don't think so. I think we can just dive right into our ladies, our lovely ladies. Also, we are not drinking this episode because, like I mentioned, it is a Wednesday night and uh, we have jobs and lives. We're drinking Propel, not sponsored. Yeah. Propel will propel us into uh, pushing the patriarchy off a cliff. Yeah. (laughs) I'm like trying to stay awake over here. I don't know why I'm so tired. So I am covering Lozen. Mm. I'm hoping I'm pronouncing that right. Lozen? Yes. L-O-Z-E-N. It sounds familiar. So she was born as part of the Chehene Shiroque Apache Nation. Try saying that 10 times fast. <laughs> Challenge accepted. No. Um, <laughs> I'm not drunk enough. 1840. The specific area she was born in is near Oja Caliente, New Mexico. So we're kind of in... That is southern. It, is it hot there? I would assume so, because caliente. caliente means hot. Yes. 
Caliente um, pockets. <laughs> I love that joke. Lozen's father and grandfather were leading men in the Chihene Apache band. So like they were big, like they were in their war bands, basically. Mm-hmm. And the name Lozen means dexterous horse thief. Which we will get to. I love that it's not just horse thief, which seems like a very basic description. She's dexterous. Right. Like, of all the horse thieves, she is the most dexterous. She has her own laboratory hidden in the house, and her sister Dee Dee's always getting in there and trying exactly. to mess shit up. I don't know. So Lozen was growing up during a time of intense warfare and bloodshed in our nation. By 1835, so about five years before she was born, the Mexican government had placed a bounty on, Apa- on, on Apache scalps, paying for the black hair and scalp of any man, woman, or child, a policy that resulted in the demise of many peaceful Indian settlements. By 1846, the United States went to war with Mexico. Yay. Mangas Coloradus met with Brigadier General Stephen Watts Kearney on September 20th, 1846, agreeing to friendship and allowing the U.S. um, safe passage passage through Apache lands because Apache lands were... um, Really kind of down in that, like, New Mexico, Texas. The Southwest. Yep, and northern Mexico. So because the U.S. wanted to go to war with Mexico, they actually peacefully talked to the Apache, and the Apache was like, yeah, you know, they're killing our people. Of course, we'll let you go through and fight this war. Yeah, no, because it's like, oh, I'm sorry, you want to go fuck the shit up of the people who are literally hunting us like animals? Do it. So in October of nineteen four, fucking a. In October of eighteen forty eight, Major John McRae Washington became the military government of the territory of New Mexico. So this is where she is, where Lozen lives. So he's the government or the governor? Military governor. Oh, okay. You said the go- the government. I was. I like, mean, he's kind of the government. I guess one person can be a government. They're um, called dictators. So around this time is when the Treaty of Hidalgo was signed. That's when Mexico ceded New Mexico to the United States. So okay. This is when New Mexico became a state, essentially. Um, on the condition, uh, part of the condition of the treaty was that the United States would prevent hostile Indians from entering Mexico. Okay. Even though it was Mexico that seemed hostile. I, I was going to say, like, okay, and, and I'm not giving us a pass in the United States here, but yeah, come on, Mexico. Come on, everyone. Let's just do better and be better. Right. However, things wouldn't get any easier for the Apache Nation as the gold strikes of 1848 in California would draw a steady stream of prospectors who would have to pass through Apache territory on their way to the gold fields. Many of these miners um, were raided and sometimes killed for their supplies as well as raiding supplies of the um, Apache Nation as well. Unsuccessfully, miners in California often migrated back, staking mining claims in lands in Arizona and New Mexico, which led to more disputes with the Apaches and other tribes. So that's kind of like the background and what Lozen's growing up during. Just a super chill time. Yep. Super mellow. Everyone's getting along, holding hands and singing Kumbaya. So when Lozen was about 12 years of age, she went through her a four-day puberty rights ceremony that I didn't look in, but that, that very typical of the time. Oh, you know what? I think we talked a bit about that. Um, I think when I covered uh, Goyen, because she had to wear that like white bear yep. skin dress or animal skin dress, and she used that to yeah. sneak. Yeah, yeah. Yep. So this was a few days or... Yeah, this was a few days after that. So she is, you know, fully a woman. She's inducted into the tribe. She's about 12. 
Um, she goes up to one of the sacred mountains in the southwestern New Mexico area to pray. Like, she's just going up there. And according to oral history, historical traditions, or, you know, family legacy. <laughs> according to family lore. Family lore, that's what it is. Um, she was blessed with a supernatural power that allowed her to pinpoint the exact location of enemies of her people. So that's kind of interesting, isn't it? Okay, maybe if I thought I could get superpowers, I would have taken my religion a little more seriously. Right. <laughs> um, so... It was. T- it's told that she would locate the people's enemies by lifting her hands, walking in a complete circle until the veins in her arms turned a dark blue, indicating the direction from which the enemy would come. So she basically she'd walk in a circle, and some some also said she felt like tingling in her hands, and then whatever like wherever she felt it coming from, that's where the enemies were, and like the stronger it was, the closer they were. It, it's like her whole body is a divining rod. Like, have you seen people use those where it's those uh, like L-shaped rods? You hold the short end in your hands and they're supposed to cross over sources of water or if there's a ghost, like depending on whatever you're using them for. Right. Yeah. So so you walk around and you wait for the rods to react, but her whole body is like reacting. Right. So apparently this is the prayer. She said this is translated, so it might not be, you know, 100% accurate, but she was um, apparently chanting a prayer to Usin, which is the Apache's supreme deity. So it was upon this earth on which we live, Usin has power. This power is mine for locating the enemy. I search for that enemy, which only Usin the Great can show me. So she walk in a circle chanting mm-hmm. that pretty interesting that is fascinating right and so in the 1870s um when her brother victorio who was now leader of like their war band obviously following the steps of you know his father and grandfather so him and a band of his apaches um left the terrible terrible conditions of the san carlos reservation in arizona um and so they left and kind of became like a raiding party, you know, trying kind of trying to reclaim their lands and all of obviously all of this while trying not to be captured by the military or just, you know, law enforcement in general. Um, and Lozen went with him because Lozen was his sister. And even even though it was super uncommon for not only a woman to be in a war band, but an unmarried woman mm-hmm. to be in a war band. Because she wasn't. She never got married. She just went with them. Yeah, yeah. Um, so he, she stayed with them during this whole, what they called a rampage, which I, I don't necessarily agree with. But um, so as the band traveled and fought American forces in what was known as Victorio's War, which lasted from 1879 to 1881. So basically it's her brother's, you know, quote unquote war to get back their territory kind of a thing. Um, Lozen would travel with them and inspire any women and children that would end up frozen in fear. Oh, no, this is a specific. Sorry. So as the band was fleeing in one location, um, they were with like a, a, a part of their nation and they had their back to the Rio Grande River. And um, all the women and children were obviously frozen. They had never seen the fighting. You yeah. know, they were terrified. And so Lozen went and began speaking and she got up on her horse. And this is this is the quote from a child at the time who was um, riding 
riding above or riding on a horse with his grandmother nearby. And this is what the child said. I saw a magnificent woman on a beautiful horse, Lozen, sister of Victorio, Lozen, the warrior woman. High above her head, she held her rifle. There was a glitter as her right foot lifted and struck the shoulder of her horse. He reared and then plunged into the torrent. She turned his head upstream and he began swimming. So basically she just lunged her horse into, and basically watching her do this, you know, inspired everyone else to kind of go with her because they were like, okay, like, you know, just follow this woman who's clearly strong. And they actually made it. They made it across the Rio Grande River, cold and wet, but alive. And obviously the war band was still on the other side of the river fighting off um, the forces. And so when everyone got across... Lozen went up to Goyen, who was just like a mother that was, of the no, village. That was the woman that I covered. Oh, well, there you go. Because I, I, I'm like, I, I literally looked it up because I'm like, why does Lozen sound so familiar? The puberty ceremony. I'm like, I'm pretty sure she was a member of like the yeah. Apache nation. So I looked it up. Yeah, they were in the same tribe yep. and they were in a lot of the same events. Yep. And so just a little recap, Goyen kind of became famous because... She went and hunted down her husband's oh, killer yeah. who stole his scalp. <laughs> um, and she was with like Geronimo and all of them. And, like she was she was inducted as a warrior too because she had like proved yeah. herself. Um the the penalty though for her getting caught doing that would have been like she, her nose would have been cut off. Like right, it wasn't exactly. it wasn't cool for a woman to do that. And they were like damn girl get that shit yeah right <laughs> and she was with geronimo uh yep, when comes. he was captured and she died in a pow camp in uh oklahoma i think yeah so their stories yeah. end the same but it, but you're talking <laughs> about this, I'm like, this story. but this sounds so familiar and i love that we've uh independently covered these two women who are now intersecting yep so lozen went up to goyen and basically was like you take charge um, I'm going back to the warrior. So she left Goyen in charge, charged back across the Rio Grande River um, to meet back up with the men that were standing between, well, now with the river as well, but before yeah. just between, you know, this ca- oncoming cavalry and the me- the women and children. So she went back and helped them fight. According to that sa- the same child, um, who, a- according to my sources, was Goyen's son, yeah, yeah, like James. No, it was Kaiwak. James Kaiwakala. Yeah, they just go by the last name, Kaiwakala. Yeah. Um, so according to him, she, she could ride, shoot, and fight like a man, and I think she had more ability in planning military strategy than her brother, Victorio. He remembers Victorio specifically saying, I depend on Lozen as I do Nana, who was the aging patriarch of... Like their whole He was the top area. guy. Yep. Yeah. And he was the top man. Exactly. And he's like, Lozen is right up there with him. Exactly. I need both of them. So late in her brother's campaign, Lozen actually left the band to escort a new mother and her newborn infant across the Chihuahan Desert from Mexico um, to one of the Apache reservations. So like they found this woman, she needed help. And Lozen was like, you know what? I'll take her. Like, I'm a good horseback rider. I got this. So, yeah, basically, like, they wanted just someone to be there to help 
you know, on the hardships of the trail, this mother and her newborn. So this woman has just given birth. She needs some help. (laughs) Equipped with only a rifle, a cartridge belt, a knife, and three days supply of food, she set out with this mother and child on this journey through territory occupied by Mexican and U.S. cavalry forces. So, like, this is a dangerous mission. In route, afraid that a gunshot would betray their presence, she used a knife to kill a longhorn, which is a cow, for Mm -hmm. those who don't know. Um, but she's during- talking about me, everyone. Yeah, I'm exactly. the one that doesn't know. <laughs> oh, um, yeah, no longhorn cattle. They're like, it, the- you know, I, I should know that because, uh, go longhorns. Yeah, exactly. Like King of the Hill. I um, literally just watched King of the Hill. But last like, so night. they needed food. So she killed a longhorn using a knife instead of a gun so that they wouldn't attract attention. And then they butchered it for the meat and like continue traveling. She stole a Mexican cavalry horse for the new mother. Cause all she had was her own, um, she snuck in, stole it, and escaped through a volley of gunfire with the horse on the way out. Later, she had to steal another horse from a cowboy, or a vaquero, as they called them. Vaquero. I'm, I'm not going to try to nope. say it. <laughs> um, and this one was for herself, um, and she disappeared before he could give chase. So she was really kind of living up to her name, mm-hmm. although there are some records that say there's a potential that maybe her name was changed you know after to reflect her deeds yeah as sometimes happens um she also would later acquire a soldier's saddle rifle ammunition blanket and canteen as well as his shirt as he slept in his tent so basically she was really she was like that ninja boy she was really good at being stealthy yeah um and getting in and getting out So finally, she would go on to deliver her charges safe and sound to the reservation. So they made it all the way across. However, when she got there, she learned that the Mexican and Indian forces under Mexican and the Indian forces under Mexican commander Joaquin Terza had killed Victorio and most of his warriors at the Battle of Tres Castillos, fought on three stony hills in the northeast of, of it looks like Chihuahua. I'm not even joking. It is Chihuahua. Okay, in yeah, northeastern Chihuahua. So why she was doing this on this perilous mission, her brother and most of the war, the Apache, that specific Apache war band were killed, which is unfortunate. Yeah. Knowing the survivors um, of the war band, because, I mean, they traveled with women and children of the warriors. So knowing that the survivors would need her, Lozen immediately left the reservation that she had just arrived in and rode alone southwest across the desert, threading her way again through U.S. and Mex- uh, and Mexican military patrols. She re- rejoined her brother's decimated band in the, in the Sierra Madre, now led by the 74-year-old patriarch Nana. So I, he's still alive, but obviously yep. he's not really old enough to actually like do much, right. which is why her brother was leading. Um so she would get them kind of settled in like in their own reservation. They really couldn't continue on the fight. Mm-hmm. And Lozen would go on to fight beside Geronimo after his breakout from the San Carlos reservation in 1885 in the last campaign of what was known as the Apache Wars. This band, which Emily obviously mentioned when we talked about Goyen, um, was pursued relentlessly. Like because they were like the last big war band out there. Mexico and the U.S. just wanted them, and they wanted them bad. Yeah. So she, you know, Lozen was used for her power to locate the enemies of the U.S. and Mexican cavalries to kind of keep both, both give them an advantage when they were fighting and keep them safe when they weren't, you know? 
1885, Geronimo and Nash fled the, the reservation with 140 followers. So this is kind of going back to the beginning. Um, and when Lozen, Lozen would travel with them, and Lozen and Dateste um, actually began trying to negotiate peace treaties with the Americans. Um, one of which, because at that time, um, the reason, one of the reasons Geronimo left and fled was because they had found out that some of the Apache leaders were being prison, imprisoned at Alcatraz, so they were going to go and try and get him out. Oh. Um, so one of the peace treaties that was offered was, you know, okay, you already imprisoned the Apache leaders. They're, let, let them be impri- we'll let them be imprisoned for two years, but then they get their freedom. Right. Um, the American leaders dismissed and the peace treaty, but Lozen and Deheste just kept trying. They were like, you know, what can we give you that will end this? Yeah. Um, the Apache rebels, however, believe or not believed. The Apache rebels had very strong resolve, however, until it was revealed that the Chiriques had been rounded up and sent to Florida. So that that is what where yeah. Lozen is from, and that's where that they're kind of the the Chiriques are kind of like the main. Yes. branch of the Apache like there's different branches of the Apache but yeah. they're like one of the big ones a- Apache was almost like this uh branching umbrella term and yes. I think Goyen was one of the people that ended up being sent to Florida for a period yep. of time because a, or maybe it was later but a lot of people got sick because Florida is very humid yep. and muggy I mean, yeah, and yeah, it's I'm very, to that. yeah sorry sorry so if Geronimo and their band wanted to rejoin their kin that meant that they needed to head east yep to Florida, basically. So this this band of Apache warriors agreed to surrender and lay down their arms. And five days later, they were on a train bound for Florida to rejoin the rest of their people, which is a little bit sad. Lozen, in particular, was taken into U.S. custody after Geronimo's final surrender and traveled as a prisoner of war to the Mount Vernon barracks in Alabama. Like many other imp- imprisoned Apache warriors, she died in confinement of tuberculosis on June 17, 1889. God. So she, I know I kind of screwed up parts of her story because I kept like backtracking and I apologize. But she, I mean, she's amazing. And she became known as the kind of like the Joan of Arc of the Apache. And like, she was just so intelligent and so sneaky. And she basically did everything in her power, you know. To protect her people. Like she be, she, that's the other thing. She became known as the Joan of Arc of the Apache and she got called like the shield of her people. The shield of her people. Oh my God. Well, and like throughout this story, we've touched on these like widespread historical events from like Mexico hunting down and killing indigenous people to like the Apache making agreements with the U S and the U S being like, nah, fuck you. And right. like, like, and she, she was born into this world that was just rife with conflict. Right. Where she could literally be hunted down and murdered yeah. and, and someone would get paid for and it. She would just plunge head first into danger. Yeah. She, and she's she like, no, care. nope, we're not doing this. Fuck so, this. you know, she was obviously an example and a good leader you know, yeah. and she inspired all all people, both her fellow warriors and, you know, the women and children on the sidelines. You know, she's a model of bravery, um, great knowledge, and she holds a, holds a respected place among the Apache and continues to spire, inspire their women to this day. 
You know, I you mentioned that Lozen, which means dexterous horse thief, was a name that might have been given to her later on. Mm-hmm. I think you're correct because Goyen was also a name that was exactly. given to that woman later because it means wise woman, um, and that was a reward for her bravery. And she would be she would have been about fifty when she yeah. died. Oh my god! She was born in the forties and died in the 1890, So, God, that's such a bummer story. But like, it's it it it's fascinating and also i we we hear about the atrocities that were wrought on the indigenous tribes in north america and then every time we get into the details of one of these stories it breaks my heart i always like there's always like a new horror like i I I always want to go and punch mexico like i didn't know about that part that they were paying for the scalps of the that really shocked me i was was like like, what yeah like that was one thing i read it and i'm like i'm not going down that rabbit hole like that would be too dark i I think also you know in in the united states in particular i think we're becoming more aware and conscientious of our history of you know colonization and taking land from indigenous tribes and the really just the, the the genocide that we committed and i think we're just coming to we're beginning to come to terms with that history um i don't think we're like even like okay well also let's see what mexico was doing and what they were doing in south america and what they're like it happened everywhere and that doesn't give us a pass i'm just saying this is why I don't know everything. I'm like, I just know it was blanket bad. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like it was a rough, a rough time all around. And like I said, like it was, you know, it started out as this war. Um, and then like the gold rush started and that didn't help things. Well, I and... thought that was interesting because I remember learning about the gold rush. I didn't learn anything about, you know, how the gold rush affect- affected the indigenous tribes. No, but if you think about it, like, cause that's, they tended to put a lot of the reservations and stuff in the middle of the United States because no one else wanted to live there. Well, they kept they kept pushing them west until European settlers were like, "But I want more and more." And then Manifest Destiny well, and, and was like, "God gold, wants me to have more." The gold rush was part more. of that. It's because every, yeah. everyone went west, and then when they didn't find gold, they started moving back east. But they started taking land as yep. they went back east. Yep. Uh. Yeah. Well, thank you for sharing Lozan's story, and also I'm just I'm just so giddy that her story intersects with a woman I know, like, that I, I covered. I saw Goyen, and I was like, that sounds so familiar. Yeah, yeah, she was the one that uh, killed her husband's murderer. Yeah, I know. I thought that was cool. That basically she like bit she, him to death. <laughs> that she, you know, Lozan charged across this river and then found another like. And I wonder if that's why. Like they probably knew each other, and she well, was like, "Okay, you're strong. Yeah, I know you can handle this. You take care of our people. I'm gonna go back and fight." And I looked it up, and uh, Goyen killing the it, it was a Comanche chief that yeah. she killed. Uh, that happened before this. Oh, nice. Yeah. So Lozan was probably like Goyen. I know I you. you. I know you. Know like we're they 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 met eyes and they just had this like badass babe moment where they're like, we got this. Right. Exactly. <laughs> Divide and conquer. Well, in what year was Goyen born in? Um, let because I wonder if she was like a little bit older and maybe that's why she wasn't fighting. Let me look it up. She also had uh her kids with her. Yeah, because her, her one son, son was the one who was uh recording that. Exactly. She was born around eighteen fifty seven. So she was actually younger. Yeah. Or, yeah. Wow. Yeah. That's still that's still super cool. Yeah, she died in nineteen oh three. So just not too long after Lowe's end. Yeah, she was almost fifty. Yep. Fucking 
This is why we don't put people in camps, especially <laughs> when TB is a thing. God. <laughs> One person coughs and everyone dies. Yeah, Kelly, I'm so glad that you uh, you solved that problem for us. Finally, no we camps. know what to not do, <laughs> especially when there's tuberculosis involved. <laughs> I mean, hindsight's 2020. Oh, don't don't say that. Don't say 2020. Don't say the bad times. <laughs> hindsight is the year that all of us want to forget. Hindsight is internal screaming into the void. <laughs> yeah, basically. So who are you covering? Today? All right. Well, uh, today I am covering someone who's from a little more recent. I am Ooh. covering Lyda Conley. Name sounds vaguely familiar. Well, uh, it is not who I'm covering next week, so that's good. Thank God. It's coming. (laughs) The day that we cover the same woman is coming. Here's the thing that has happened because you covered. Okay, but the day, okay, the day that we cover the exact same woman and I don't have other women to cover at the same time, it's coming. Yeah, because I think it was our first year, it was during Pride Month. Kelly covered three trans women and I had covered one of those women for my story. So Kelly just just omitted her section of my notes. Her notes, yeah. All right. So Lida Conley was born Eliza Burton in 1869 as the youngest daughter of her mother, Elizabeth Burton Zane. So, so we're not that much more recent. Well, she she gets further. I know. Because this is 1869. Yeah. yeah. So like the, the shit you're talking about is going on right now. Exactly. So uh, her mother, Elizabeth, was a multiracial member of the Wyandotte Nation. Elizabeth was the granddaughter of Isaac Zane, who, as a child, had been captured by the Wyandots in Virginia, as a, and he was adopted as a member of their tribe. He lived with them for 17 years and married the chief's daughter, White Crane. So he, he was, like, captured and just was like, hey, you guys are cool. He was adopted into the nation, married the chief's daughter. Yeah. So then the couple moved with the rest of the tribe to Ohio as part of a larger migration as European settlers increasingly encroached on their ancestral lands, what we were just talking about. In Ohio, they founded Zanesfield, which makes sense because that's his last name. And this is a village in Logan County, Ohio. That's still around. So Zanesfield takes some pictures and email them to us. Yeah. It actually holds the distinction of being the smallest incorporated village in Logan County. It's not a big place. No. It's not like, it's not a metropolis or anything. But Zanesfield, we see you. Give Let, us those yeah. pictures. <laughs> we want to see you. Yes, we, we see you and we want to see you more. So this is where Elizabeth's mother um, and Lida were born. Okay. Um, or excuse me, this is where Elizabeth's mother... And Elizabeth yeah, were I know, born. I know what you meant. So the grandma and mother of the woman we're covering. Okay. Unfortunately, being forced to move westward became this like generational bird. It just kept happening. Hmm. They were like, just go a little further west and we're cool. Uh, just, just a little more of the west. Just, little, just keep going. I'll, I'll tell Scooch, you when. Scoot, when, when you hit you the when. ocean, you've gone too far. Yeah, when you've hit the ocean, just stop. Like, can you swim out a little bit? I'm sure stop. there's some islands out there. Oh, no, we fucked those up, too. Okay, whatever. <laughs> I shouldn't laugh, but it's just, it's it's yeah, so it's, absurd. It is. So Elizabeth had to travel west from Ohio to Kansas as a part of another large forced migration of the Wyandotte people by the United States government as part of their widespread, quote, unquote, Indian removal efforts like they were they were being very upfront like get out we are removing you from this area because we want it Lida's father Andrew 
Sirenus Conley? I don't know. Andrew. Sure. Andy. Andy boy. He was a former or a farmer of Scots, Irish, and English descent. So Elizabeth Lida's mother is of multiracial descent, and then her father is uh, European descent. It was increasingly common for members of the Wyandotte Nation to be married to and have children of European descent. Makes sense. You know, this especially like there was a lot more intermingling and things like that. The two were married in 1860 and raised their two daughters, or excuse me, not two daughters, several daughters, (laughs) Lena, Sally, Ida, and Lida on their 64-acre farm in present-day Wyandotte County, Kansas. I wonder what they named the county for. No idea. It's a mystery. It's just been lost to the ages. Sadly, the farm would eventually collapse into the Missouri River when the daughters were adults and they all had to move to Kansas City. All right, then. Was this on a... Cl- like, what happened? How does a Maybe farm the river collapse just got into a like river? Bigger? Yeah, like, did, did it flood and the ground just... It just got washed away? Yeah, I'm actually really curious about that. Like, I kind of... Like, not that I'm... Yay, their farm got destroyed, but I just want to know about Why? the mechanics. How Why? does a farm <laughs> fall into a river? So, all of the Conley daughters were encouraged to pursue an education, and all of them That's did. Good. They attended Park College, and instead of walking to school uphill both ways, they rode a boat across the river to and from school each day. Upriver both ways. Upstream both ways. <laughs> um, one of the daughters, Sally Conley, died at, when oh, she was only 16 no. or 17 years old, but the remaining sisters was all- Was it tuberculosis? D- dude, it could have been literally everything. Anything. It didn't say is what a you're telling me. A crow looked at her the wrong way. I I, I think she she died of an illness or something. Yeah. Um, and I only mentioned that because they had the four daughters, but we're only really going to talk about three because she sadly yeah. died as a teenager. So the remaining sisters all shared a house in Kansas City, and none of them would ma- would marry. So they're like okay. just they're the sisterhood of the traveling pants. Yay. Lida graduated from Kansas City School of Law in 1902 and became the first woman admitted to the Missouri Bar, and she would also later be admitted to the Kansas Bar. And I looked it up because I'm like, I know, like, in context what a bar is, but it's basically like... to be a lawyer. Well, the bar exam is, but the bar is basically the 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 group of state approved lawyers okay uh the bar so refers like to a register of yeah approved lawyers yeah yeah a like state yeah so you like you you have the credentials to practice yeah. law I, in that state i know you yeah i know you have to take it like per state yeah and then the bar i learned actually refers to there used to be a bar that would separate the lawyers from the jury and so it was like, oh, you're on the side of the bar. So you are the bar. And I'm like, okay. But so, yeah. Sometimes it's better if you just don't ask questions. You know what, though? And then I will never learn. And now uh, I can watch Legally Blonde with a whole new appreciation <laughs> of the bar. Of the bar and what Elle Woods went through. So uh, Lida was also trained as a telegraphic operator, taught at Spalding Business College, and taught Sunday school you know, wow. in her free time. You know, just getting shit done. Just to keep busy. It's amazing what you can do when you're not saddled with I a mean, husband. It, it's, it sounds, well, I am saddled with a husband. I was say, it sounds like me. You have a day job, you're going to school, and you're doing shit on the side. Yeah, you got, you got your, your weekend job, you got your day job, you got your school shit. 
So remember, this was also before she would have even been able to vote. So the fact yeah. she's doing all this shit life. is amazing. Yeah, that's crazy. Like the yeah. fact that like, I mean, like the telegraph operator, that doesn't surprise me. Like that, that strikes me as a very woman job. Yeah. Fem- yeah. Um, feminine. But yeah, but the fact that she's taken two bars during this time and you know, I'm sure she faced a lot of discrimination. I was about to say and didn't face discrimination, but I'm like, I'm sure she did. Yeah. Um, that's just incredible. Yeah. Like, the fact that, that I guess they're letting her practice is incredible to me. Right. Right. That they weren't like, no, but you're a woman. But you it's interesting boobs. that it's interesting that, yeah, she can practice law in two states, but she's not allowed to vote. Yep. Like, what? it's a thing. I can even I can vote. <laughs> Come on, you guys. The bar is low. No. <laughs> Back then. So um, while Lida was killing it. Things got complicated because we probably wouldn't be talking about her if things didn't get weird. So the U.S. government had proposed a deal to the Wyandotte Nation. The government would grant them American citizenship because the government, like, suddenly deemed them worthy of joining society. Well, it depends. What did they want for it? Uh I'll, I'll get into that. So in 1855, the Wyandotte Nation accepted and their lands in Kansas were divided up among individual Kansas. tribe members. Oh. Um, anyone who didn't want to give up their lands, however, were forced to go to Oklahoma where they became the Wyandotte Nation of Oklahoma. So here, the Wyandotte so Nation splinters. Yeah. But here, the Wyandotte Nation splinters. So there's the... Um, Kansas. Wyandotte Nation of Oklahoma and the Wyandotte Nation of Kansas. Basically, Kansas are the people that went along with the government and got to keep a portion of their land. Yeah. And they got American citizenship. Yeah. And the Oklahoma people, did they not get American citizenship? No. Oh. No. They they didn't agree to the, to the deal. Um, in Oklahoma, they were able to maintain a tribal government and legal authority over the Huron Cemetery, which was their tribal bur- burial ground back in Kansas. So... The Wyandotte people have moved from Virginia to Ohio to Kansas. They've got this cemetery there. This is where every one of the Wyandotte Nation are buried. So then they get moved to Oklahoma, but they're still in charge of that cemetery. Yeah, yeah. So they're able to maintain, like, sovereignty over the cemetery. That's good. It's kind of hard when you're in a different state, but... It, It gets complicated. Oh, I'm sure. So the burial ground was incredibly important to the Wyandotte Nation's heritage. Its earliest burials dated back to 1843, marking when the tribe had first been forced to relocate to Kansas. In 1906, the Wyandotte Nation of Oklahoma decided to sell the Huron Cemetery to be developed. So because Kansas City had grown around this cemetery and it was prime real estate, like this was almost the city center. Yeah, so you get a lot of money. And the proceeds would go to the Wyandotte Nation of Oklahoma. The Wyandotte people in Kansas City were considered absentee members of the Wyandotte Nation of Oklahoma and didn't have control over the burial ground as they were seen as having traded their rights to ancestral lands for American citizenship. So there's this, now there's this fight over land between two sects of the same nation. Right. Which like when I read about, I I read like a very brief summary of what Lida did and the way I was imagining this story playing out was completely different. I was like, oh, yeah, she fucked over the U.S. government. It's like, no, they're fighting with each other because yeah, they were... an internal civil war because basically kinda, one sect viewed the other sect as traitors. Yeah, and I and here here's the thing, like, 
when when people are put in this impossible position where it's okay do we do we hang on to our traditions or do we try to adjust to these rapidly changing and overwhelmingly right. changing times and we've talked about that with like Zikala Shah how uh people were sending their children right. to these these uh what are they called Indian schools yeah um because they knew like as much as I want my child to maintain their heritage right. it like the it's, world around them it, is changing so rapidly they need to be able to right it's move one of those between things you the need, two you worlds need to fi- yeah you need to find a balance yeah you know keep your cultural heritage but still yeah not don't hold back from the outside world. Well, and unfortunately, especially in the case of the Indian schools, like they were being scrubbed of their hair. Oh, yeah. They were being stripped of it. I know. Um, but I'm saying like nowadays. Right, right, right. But, you know, the people are put in these impossible positions where they're like, what do you do? I, I'm, I'm being forced to make impossible decisions. I'm being forced to make an impossible decision. And like y- you can pass your judgment on each sex decision, but at the end of the day, like, God forbid any of us have to make that. Ch- like, what? That's so fucked up. Yeah, it is. So Lida and her sisters were none too pleased about the proposed sale. Not only was it an important heritage site, but their own mother, grandmother, sister, and other maternal ancestors were like, buried there. What would happen to the bodies? They would be moved. But still, this was like a... Hmm. E- I, I'm just going to say this right now. Whenever they say we like move the bodies, I'm like, I don't believe you moved all the bodies. <laughs> well, and I just envision them just dumping them all in like one place yeah. instead of like reburying them all nicely. And this I'm is, sure they don't, but that's the vision I get. This is the early 1900s, so I don't expect anything to be done well. Especially, like, even, well, and especially when it's people that are looked down upon. Yes. Yes. You know. Uh, so they went full old school protest and built a six by eight foot one room shack, which they dubbed Fort Conley at the cemetery where they lived so he could protect the burial ground 24 seven. So they moved into this the one bedroom sisters? shack. Yeah. Nice. Called Fort Conley. And they're like, come at us, bitches. Like we That's ain't great. going nowhere. They would stand guard over the cemetery armed with muskets and erected no trespassing signs. They're like. We're not gonna take it. No, we ain't gonna take it. And you're not gonna take our cemetery. Lido. <laughs> yes. Uh, that's actually where that song came from. So Lida was quoted in the Kansas City Times on October 25th, 1906, as saying, quote, In this cemetery are buried 100 of our ancestors. Why should we be... Why should we not be proud of our ancestors and protect their graves? We shall do it, and woe be the man that first attempts to steal a body. We are part owners of the ground and have the right under the law to keep off trespassers. The right a man has to shoot a burglar who enters his home. Nice. Yeah, she's not fucking around. Right. But That's, that's, that's great. Though. Yeah. But Lida knew that living at the cemetery was not going to be a long-term solution to this issue thankfully uh she was a baller lawyer as we've already talked about she filed a petition in the u.s circuit court for the district of kansas for a permanent injunction against the government authorized sale so the the u.s government is also like involved in the sale and they're authorizing it they are anytime reservations and stuff are concerned yeah and i there was some other stuff about like the 
the the U.S. representative who was overseeing this, and he made some kind of snide comment about how, like, oh, well, you know, they're just fighting with each other. Like, like oh, we're not the ones they're mad at this time. So, I don't know. I, I didn't get a ton into it because I also don't understand the legal Hard stuff. Eye roll. Yeah. I, I wasn't a fan of him. Uh, but this would stop the sale. Like, Good. permanently, no, not going to happen. The court ruled against Lida. No one was surprised. She appealed until the case had reached the Supreme Court, which yep. is the highest court in the land. In the land. For our international listeners who, you know, think the Supreme Court is a option on McDonald's menu. The Supreme McCourt. I don't know. <laughs> no, clearly, the McCourt clear, Supreme. Clearly, that would be on Burger King's menu, the Supreme Court. The Supreme Court, yep. Um, now to argue in front of the Supreme Court, you have to be admitted to the Supreme Court bar. Kind of like we talked about, like every legal body has to have, has its own bar. Lida wasn't a member of the Supreme Court bar, but she was able to argue the case acting in propria persona or in her own person. So she basically was like, I'm a represent myself. Cause you can do that. Right. (laughs) Cause then you don't need to be a lawyer. Yeah. I mean... If Ted Bundy you, can do it, Lida can do it. 90% of the time, I would say you don't want to represent yourself. But Lida is an actual lawyer. Yeah. Do, do you ever hear those true crime stories? And then it's like, and then the, the asshole decide to represent themselves. And, like, and everyone's well, like, die. oh, you dumbass, you arrogant piece of shit. Except right. in this case, Lida has the proper training and qualification. Exactly. This is one of those times where it's like, yeah. If yeah. they're not going to let you argue it any other way, yeah, Lida. Yes. So this made Lida the first female indigenous woman to argue. I just realized I wrote female indigenous woman. It made her the first indigenous woman who was a female who had womanly characteristics. (laughs) Am I being specific enough? Who was also indigenous. Yes. And she was a woman. (laughs) No way. We were just talking earlier about like pronunciation videos where they're like, in this video, I'm going to share a video about how to pronounce this word in a video. It's like, shut up and tell me how to say this goddamn word. (laughs) Literally just say the word. Yeah. And I don't need the five minutes of music beforehand. I don't need your introduction. I don't need your life story. Just say the word. So this made her the first indigenous woman to argue her case in front of the U.S. Supreme Court. Yeah, you can tell it's a Wednesday night because I'm just like, what is? Yeah, we're time? both we're both like super crazy, but <laughs> yeah. like in a weird way. It's it, it's weird how I feel like we're weirder when we don't drink. Maybe we drink to like mellow yeah. ourselves out so we can have a normal goddamn conversation. <laughs> we're just too high strung on Wednesdays. A, a hump day, man. So Lida said in an interview, quote, I will go to Washington and personally defend the cemetery. No lawyer could plead for the grave of my mother as I could. No lawyer could have the heart interest in the case that I have, which when yeah. you think about she, her sister, her mother, her grandmother, she has actual relatives here. This isn't just a symbolic piece of land. This is where her family something. is buried. Yeah. This is where she will be buried. Like it's very personal when asked if she thought she could win Lida replied if I lose then I will admit that the constitution of the United States is Greek to me it's Greek to all of us Lida we're all still arguing about it none of us know what it actually means if only she knew yep 
So Lida appeared before the Supreme Court on January 14, 1910, and argued that the 1855 federal treaty with the Wyandotte Nation prevented the U.S. government from selling the land, and that those had, who had signed the treaty, which were the Wyandotte of Kansas, had legal authority over the land. When all was said and done, though, the Supreme Court ruled against Lida. But this was not the end. God, no, it was not the end, which normally in a Supreme Court case, it would be the end. Right. The case was gaining national attention and the sisters worked to build more support while continuing to guard the cemetery. So her going and arguing this in front of the Supreme Court was like the best PR they could have asked right. for. Which is great. Yeah. That's exactly what they need. Kansas State Senator Charles Curtis took notice of the sisters' cause, and in 1913, he wrote and passed a law which protected the cemetery from being developed and designated it as a federal park. Yay. Yeah. So what the Supreme Court ruled was that the federal treaty didn't actually give the Kansas Wyandotte people authority over the land. Right. But then the state senator was still able to, like, he's like, This land is in my state, so I'm protecting it and saying it's a federal park. Good job, state senator. Yeah, I was like, I didn't expect the state senator of Kansas to come in and, like, be a champ here, but way to go. Lida continued to protect the cemetery and legally fight any attempts to develop the land, which, like, kept happening. It wasn't like, oh, it's a federal park. I guess nothing's going to happen. Like, people kept trying to buy the land and develop it. She acted as its unofficial guardian, taking care of the graves Aww. and wildlife. I'm just imagining her like walking through, cleaning up the graves, the and, like talking to the squirrels. Yep. The squirrels are helping her like plant flowers and pick weeds, and the birds are like laying beautiful garlands across the gravestones. Like it's the darkest, most beautiful Disney shit I have ever imagined. She was actually arrested multiple times, though, defending the graves against people who she felt were disrespecting them. She chased the people away and was charged with causing a disturbance. When given the option of paying a $10 fine and spending 10 days in jail, she proudly served her 10 days. She's like, I'm not giving you fuckers any money. <laughs> like, right? I'm not letting you, like, charge me for protecting this, you know, cemetery. Her release was reported on in the newspaper on June 16, 1937, with the headline, Miss Lida Conley Leaves Jail. And her name wouldn't be mentioned in the paper again until 1946. Oh. One May evening in 1946, Lida was walking home from the library when a man jumped out from behind some bushes and beat her over the head with a brick. He stole her purse. Lida died within 24 hours on May 28th, 1946, at around 77 years old. Who the fuck comes out of nowhere and bludgeons a 77-year-old with a brick? Who does that to anyone of any age? A bastard. Her purse only contained 20 cents. Jesus Christ. Which I don't care what that is in today money. It's like nothing. It is absolutely nothing. Lida was buried with her other family members in the Huron Cemetery, which she fought so hard to protect. But even after her death, the cemetery was still being fought over. For decades, plans to develop the land were proposed until 1971 when it was listed on the National Register of Historic Places. Even after that, the Wyandotte Nation of Oklahoma considered developing the land for a gaming casino to generate revenue for their nation. I do also want to point out they're trying to profit off of the land to financially benefit their nation their nation and i'm like i i get that you know yeah 
I, I, I don't want to be too too critical. It still I, makes me a little sad, but at the same time, it's the position that they were put in. Yeah, like I definitely, I personally side with Lida, but I'm also I, not yeah. like, I I don't think You're any of us. You're not condemning the other side. Exactly, exactly. Um, new protections in 1990 required that lineal descendants of people buried in the cemetery had to agree to the development of the land. So basically, if your descendants are in that cemetery, you get a say. Right. And uh, those remaining in Kansas super fucking didn't agree. They're like, no, no, my my mom is buried there. My grandmother, my sister, my father, like right, my like, relatives. Yes, we, we may have chosen to get American citizenship, but we still honor our ancestors and those are our ancestors. Exactly. And they didn't. And I, I kind of like that where it's like, yeah, the people who have like family members in there. I feel like also deserve a say. Yeah. Um, in 1998, the Wyandotte Nation of Kansas and the Wyandotte Nation of Oklahoma finally agreed to preserve the cemetery for religious and cultural purposes. And in December of 2017, it was designated as a National Historic Landmark. So because the Wyandotte Nation of Oklahoma and the Nation of Kansas have come to an agreement on preserving the cemetery i think now it's it's and it's on the national historic landmark registry like it's safe it we're not going to dig it up and by so god help me if anyone decides to go there and start digging i will personally sick an army of squirrels on all of your sensitive parts right we'll get the birds to help too yeah pluck out your eyes it's gonna get all alfred hitchcock up in here yeah so Lida and her sister's courage to protect their cultural heritage and their example as a strong, educated women leaves its own legacy. But I think we can all agree that Lida's greatest legacy are the undisturbed graves of 400 to 600 people, including her own. With all of the land, cultural heritage, and lives indigenous tribes lost, Lida and the Conley sisters were able to preserve at least this sacred place. And that is the story of Lida Connolly, guardian of the cemetery. That's great. Yeah. uh, I'm glad that they finally like came to an understanding, like both sets. Yes. Yes. And that, you know, it's protected now. And I like that. I'm glad. Yeah. Yeah. And I, this story had so many up and downs because Lida was awesome and her fight was awesome. But then she kept getting like denied in court and then it was protected, and then she was murdered, and then there was still all this fighting, and ah, uh, Yeah, it's a lot. Yeah, but at the end of the day, the cemetery is still there. Lida is still there, uh, and she and her, I, I'm sure her other sisters are there, too. I, I primarily focused on Lida, but I'm sure her sisters are also buried, buried there. I would assume so. Yeah, so. Definitely her younger, or not necessarily younger, but the sister that died yeah. young. Well, and I, I, I don't know. It's like so many, so many times when we cover stories of indigenous women, it's, there's so much about what's lost. And it was really nice that even in a small way, like something was saved in this story. Well, on that kind of somber note, Kelly, what are you thankful for? What am I thankful for? Uh... I don't know. No kidding. <laughs> um, God, why is it so hard for me? Like, it's funny because I think about things like beforehand, and then when you ask me, my mind just goes. 
Yeah, gee, okay, so I think I've talked about this before, but on uh, Monday work meetings, it, we we always end it with what'd you do this weekend and I will literally like list the things in my head before the meeting of what I did it's like I could have gone to the goddamn moon and the second someone asked me what'd you do this weekend I'm like I cleaned I don't know right <laughs> um I don't know I guess I'm, I'm thankful for my friends like I had a really depressing talk with one of my friends this last weekend that like about how they feel like all alone and they feel like that their friends don't love them and that they feel like they don't have any friends. And basically it was this really, really like sad conversation in the middle of a party. (laughs) And, you know, I just really, I was thankful that I could be there for them and like, you know, talk them through it and basically be like, you know, it's, it's not that, you know, there was a pandemic, like we're all feeling like that. Not even like, in a therapist way, but like in a friend way and yeah, being like, yeah. you know, like, I'm sorry, I'm not around a lot, but I do love you. And you know, like my calendar's opening up more, like I'll reach out like, and just to be able to be there. And, you know, I was just really thankful, you know, to one, have a friend feel like they can open up to me like that. And then two, just to be able to be there, you know, for that person. That's a, that's a really special moment because so often people are struggling in silence and. Oh, and sometimes I mean, I that's like pry this out yeah. of that person. But well, you could tell like once they said it, you could tell it really helped. Yeah. But it, it can be really hard to open up about those things. So having that level of friendship where they felt comfortable opening up and then that you were able to be a kind and considerate ear and then also have the opportunity to reinforce that I'm your friend I love you I'm here for you right you know sorry I don't always make you feel that way but I'll do my best yeah you know what sometimes in uh sad situations you know that's needed yeah you know just you know we went on to have a good party so (laughs) that's good I will say I've had some of like the heaviest conversations in the middle of like a raucous party where it's just like two people are sitting on the couch or something. And yes, (laughs) that's, that's usually what happens. Yeah. It was, uh, I was going to say, yeah, usually when you get drunk, you like hit that level of drunk or you're just like, Oh my God, I just, I gotta fucking tell you about my trauma right now. (laughs) So what are you thankful for? Um, I'm really thankful that, uh, this last weekend I had the opportunity to go to this, this small town was having like this, this town wide trunk or treat thing. And I was able to go and see my nieces and a bunch of the other like kiddos of like family friends and that kind of thing. And we were all hanging out outside. It was a gorgeous day playing in the leaves, throwing leaves at kids. There was one little girl who was dressed up as Anna from frozen. I went up to her. I was like, Oh my gosh. Princess Anna, I didn't know you were going to be here. And I bowed. I was like, oh, it's a pleasure to see you, your highness. And she was just giggling. And like, I love, I love getting to be Auntie Emily. And yeah, I got to spend some like good quality time with my nieces. Um, And particularly my oldest niece, I was pushing her on a swing. And I do this thing where I grab the swing. I'm standing in front of her and I go, one, two, three. And I like, I, you know, charge the swing and then I push it and it goes really high. And while she was swinging, I heard her going like, uh, eh, eh. like she was mimicking the sounds of me counting. And I was like, Jared, <laughs> I was like, get over here. You have to, you have to hear this. And that's why I do that so that she can like kind of figure out that sequence and mimic those sounds and 
So that was really nice. It was uh, it was good family time. I I had a fun time being Auntie Emily. So yeah. That was adorable. Thank I saw you. some of the pictures. Yes. It was super cute. You was my girly corner my skeleton. Yeah. Yeah. We even we even gave my youngest niece a ride home and just like driving in the car. Even with her just like passed out in the backseat, I kept looking back at her and smiling and I was singing Elton John to her and that's what put her out. She's probably just like, this bitch needs to shut up. I'm going to pretend I'm asleep and maybe she'll stop singing at me. <laughs> I doubt that. Yeah. She doesn't know yet. It's fine. It's fine. She's young enough. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you so much for listening to another episode of Whining About Herstory. Please like us on Facebook at Whining About Herstory, Instagram at WAHPod, Twitter at WAH underscore pod. Our website is whiningaboutherstory.com, which has our new merch store on it. So, you know, you can go Click there. Click the merch link. Um, and our email is whiningaboutherstory at gmail.com, where, as we said, we'd love to hear from you. We also have a Patreon. If you go to patreon.com slash whiningaboutherstory, where you can donate for as little as $1 a month to help us keep the wine flowing. And $1. you also get some extra special things, which are, I got to get that video out. <laughs> but we just released our October Herstory Happenings bonus episode, which only patrons get. Uh, we'll be doing our November one and uh, yeah. then our December one. Kelly's there'll, doing there'll both of those. Coming out yes. Eventually. And then there'll be another video sometime in November. Yep. We will also be uh, doing some fun holiday stuff. So keep an eye out for that. Yeah. All right. Also, please raise five stars wherever you listen. If you don't want to support us financially, at least support us in spirit. Right. Which is Share also digitally. <laughs> five stars. It helps other people find us. Tell your friends. Yeah. Yeah. Everything. We love you. All right. Well, thank you so much for listening to another episode of Whining About Herstory. I'm Emily. I'm Kelly. And have an empowered day, y'all. Bye. Bye.